I'm very pleased to have uh, somebody on the line who's interrupting her uh, short respite from the chaos down in the Minnesota Capitol. Uh, She is an obstetrician, gynecologist, doctor, and a senator. My senator, Kelly Morrison, on the line. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I have to apologize for making you call in when you're trying to take a little bit of a break from everything. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure to join you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, so you have about 40 bills that you've chief authored just in this session alone. Is that correct? Actually, it's more than that, but yes. <laughs> it, okay, it's always growing. Whenever I read a page about it, there's probably three or four or five more than what I'm reading because you're doing it all the time. <laughs> um, it, it's been a busy session so far. We're halfway done. Yeah, yes. It seems like things are moving along, though, much better than in past sessions. So it seems a little bit uh, like it's closer to the end than the beginning. Do you feel that way? Yeah, in some ways. I mean, the rhythm of the session is obviously very different than the last two have been. Um, You know, you may have noticed we don't have gridlock anymore. Um, And so we've been more productive, I think, than we have been the last uh, the prior two biennium, at least when I've been in the legislature. So that's exciting. Right. Yeah. It usually seems like nothing can get put through and then everything's put into the last two days and and then there's a threat that the government's going to shut down and all that stuff. That that doesn't look like that's going to happen this time. Yeah, I really hope not. It's, I, I agree with you. I think it's great that we've had some important standalone bills on both the House and the Senate floor. Um, you know, we're, we're making our way through some important legislation, and now we're finishing up the committee omnibus bills now, and then we'll get to debating those and voting on those on the, the Senate floor on the side I'm on now, and then um, heading into conference committees to reconcile the, the House omnibus with the Senate omnibus, and then hoping to send some good legislation to the governor to sign into law. Yeah. And uh, I know last session, the Republicans often didn't show up to the joint uh, committee hearings. And do you feel like there's a better uh, communication between the two parties this time? Um, well, I suppose that depends on your perspective. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I, th- I think that's true. I think that um, there's, uh, you know, Republicans... Uh, we, we hope that they will join us in, in some of our legislative efforts, and in some cases they have been. Um, but that unfortunately is true that last year there was um, there was more of an effort to kind of throw sand in the gears um, than to help uh, the government run smoothly and efficiently. And so it's it's great to see more of that this session. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's... I don't know, kind of reporting on it when I'm on the radio here and things like that. Uh, it's uh, in in ways it's more boring, but that's good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of like the change from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, know. we like no drama. It's good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you have uh, tell tell us a little bit about 
I think that some of your legislation is is really uh, some incredible, incredibly thoughtful things, like the Psy Pact, allowing uh, licensed physicians to practice across state lines. Explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, that was a great bipartisan effort uh, in the last session. Uh, and SciPact is a is an interstate compact that allows psychologists to practice across state lines, um, primarily by um, tele uh, psychology. Um, because as you know, as we have all experienced personally and have certainly read about, we've got a huge mental health crisis on our hands, and we don't have the workforce right now to meet those needs. And this was a way to um, create some more access for people um, to be able to get the mental health care that they need. Um, And so this had um, bipartisan support in both bodies, and we were able to get it across the finish line and passed into law. I just met with a group of psychologists recently, and they all talked about how relieved they are that that legislation passed and what a difference it's made um, in terms of their ability to uh, to help meet the need because the need is just enormous right now. Um, and so that's that has been a really gratifying um, effort and um, kind of a mini success story, I think. Yeah. And also kind of a silver lining in the cloud of the pandemic. Is is that correct? What, did it kind of come about because of the, you know, we're all on Zoom mentality that happened because of the pandemic? In, in part, I think that's true. Um, I also had a, a bill that, um, to your point about looking for silver linings of the pandemic, I think telehealth is one of them. Yeah in general, both from um, medical and mental health care perspective. And I, I think of them as being um, one and the same, but not we don't always approach them the same way. Um, so I had a bill that extended or, or at least made permanent some of those changes to telehealth. So the people, because I think people, a lot of people found during the pandemic that they actually liked the convenience and the time and cost savings Um for kind of straightforward medical appointments to be able to do it um, virtually. Right. Uh, And so we got that passed into law, too. And I I think you're exactly right. I think that is a silver lining of the pandemic. It saved people time and money um, and increased access in some cases. Uh, MDH is actually doing a study to um, get some hard numbers about how that has impacted some of the racial disparities that we see in health outcomes and access in Minnesota. and to, to just to get some some hard data about how that's working out, but we're feeling we're feeling pretty good about it, and I think it's been it's been a good change uh, by and large. Not appropriate for all medical care, of course, but a lot right. of it can be covered that way, and particularly mental health care. Right. Yeah. Um, and and what do you think? Uh, and this might be out of your purview, but what do you think is the reason that we have such an kind of an unprecedentedly high problem with mental health care right now? Oof, that's a complicated um, question, and we probably don't know all of the answers. Right. Do you think, um, do you think some of it is because of the pandemic and, and the changes that happened throughout that? Sure. I think that we had, we had a growing crisis um, in our young people before the pandemic, and uh, like with many things, the pandemic served as an accelerant. Yeah. Um, and exacerbated uh, some of those issues. 
certainly I think we have to look at, um, you know, social media and uh, iPhones and the Internet as being a piece of that. We're seeing a lot of data about young people spending more and more time in front of their screens, um, the online bullying that goes on, and just the loneliness that a lot of kids are feeling, uh, the way we have things set up right now. Yeah. Um, So to that, go ahead. Uh, well, I I think you and I are going to go to the same place here. You've also uh, you're working on legislation for that. Log off, listen in, live more. Um, you, live you, more, screen less. Yeah, it's yeah. A great organization who has. Um, uh, last year, we got um, a bill passed that um, created some small grants um, to help get some of this um, smart use of technology education into our schools. Um, peer-to-peer counseling, um, of helping helping our young people learn to be smart users of technology. And they've sort of pioneered this expression, digital well-being, sort of acknowledging that technology is is just part of our lives now. We're not, that's probably not going to change. So giving them the skills and frankly, adults too, we, we were the ones right. who have been role modeling this for yes. our young people. Um to, to know how to set limits for yourself, um, how to avoid certain things, how to, how to have a healthy relationship yeah. uh, with screens and technology. Um, and we're bringing another effort back this year to expand that work because it's been really successful. I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yes. I, I, that's why I'm always amazed at the directions that you're going. You see a, a problem that a lot of people haven't noticed or know about and you go after it, and you have you, you're going in so many different directions. But um, speaking of that, kind of changing the subject, uh, the the prove it first legislation is something that I was um, thinking about a lot over the the uh, a couple of years ago, and I had heard I didn't make it up, but I had heard about it, and I wrote to some legislators, including you, actually. Uh, and that was one of the ideas in my little thing that I wrote. And then, and yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying that I influenced uh, you or anybody else, but but then I, I was very happy to see that you were the head of the Prove It First legislation. Tell us what that is. Um, yeah, well, you always have good ideas, Todd, and you absolutely, along with many other of um, the fabulous uh, constituents of Senate District Forty Five send me lots of ideas. Um, But, you know, when I think about kind of the future of our state, three things really stand out in my mind as our our big challenges. One is our workforce challenges. And I'll I'll get to what what you're talking talking about in the first place. Figuring out how to get our young people to stay here in Minnesota. And then also figuring out how do we make our state an attractive destination? How do we attract people to come live and work here? Um, Secondly, making inroads into our persistent racial disparities that we have got to make headway there. It is um, obviously the moral thing to do, but it's also the economically smart thing to yeah. do. We Health and schools and everything. Generate. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just about every category. It's, it's the, it's to our shame, you know, it's um, it, that's one of the key challenges that Minnesota faces and lastly is our water. Here yeah. we are sitting on this wealth of fresh water. Um, 
And in the era of accelerating climate change and increasing water scarcity, I really think it's our obligation here in Minnesota to be very careful stewards of the wealth of fresh water that we have. And contrary to what I think a lot of people think, we're really not. We have a very patchwork approach to it. um, And we don't have the strictest environmental laws. Um, I think a lot of people think we do, but we actually really don't. So Prove It First is one of the efforts, and I am not the chief author on the Prove It First legislation, but I am a co-author. And that's just, it's a pretty simple concept. It just Mm -hmm. says, hey, people, mining companies, which are usually international mining conglomerates who have pretty tough (laughs) environmental and labor records across the world, before you come mine here in Minnesota, you need to prove that you've done this different kind of mining, this copper sulfide mining that we have never done here in Minnesota before, you have to prove to us that you could do it for 10 years without polluting the water before you can start doing it here. Right. Um, And then you have to prove, because all mines end up having to be closed after all of the resources have been extracted and land has been destroyed and water has often been polluted, you got to show us that you can close down one of those mines for 10 years again without polluting. Right. So I think it's a really just common sense. Um, approach to careful water stewardship. Yeah. Um, another bill I'm carrying to that end is um, a, a plan. It, it tasks the University of Minnesota's Water Council with creating a 50-year plan to ensure that there's adequate clean water in Minnesota for the next 50 years. Um, I'm really excited about this bill. It's been included in the Senate Environment Omnibus Bill and the House Environment Omnibus Bill. So I'm hopeful that we're going to get this done. And it'll be comprehensive. It has to look at every different sector that impacts our water. So that gets into a lot of um, tricky policy, but it's stuff that we just have to talk about. We've got to talk about the way we do agriculture um, it's a big part of our history and our economy, and we got to figure out a way to um, change some practices. Probably, yes. we got to be sure we're going to take th- this risk, a monumental risk, of embarking on copper sulfide mining here in Minnesota. Yeah, got to talk about our waste and stormwater. You know, it, it touches all kinds of different areas, so it'll be a, an interesting roadmap for us if we can get it done. Yeah, so I and- can talk about water all day long, but right. um, I think it's a it's super important part of, of our task here in Minnesota. It is. It is. And the, the Prove It First, for instance, I don't think there currently is a uh, conglomerate that has successfully done, especially the copper sulfite, without pollution. And and that, that makes it very <laughs> difficult then. But at the same time, you know, in the 70s and 60s, you know, car uh, companies, automobile manufacturers, were their feet were held to the fire on a lot of safety measures and uh, you know raising of mileage and things like that and they went yep. in kicking and screaming but they eventually found a way to to comply and that's what we need to do to these companies and it's a it's a difficult uh, equation and and but we have to do it i mean the you know the the argument would be well no company has ever successfully done that without polluting well okay so you're just saying you're going to let them come in and pollute then that's not a good that's right. you know, so so it's a I agree, I agree with you completely Todd we can do hard things you know as we learn more we have sometimes we have to pivot and change our behavior yes um, and that's so that's hard when we're used to doing certain things a certain way but 
we just have to. Yeah. Right? The stakes are getting higher and higher, so we, we have to do We it. have to, yeah. I mean, we did it to go to the moon, and and that wasn't as important <laughs> as this, I don't think. Listen, we got to take a short break. Right. Can you stay on the line for a, a little bit longer? Sure. Yep. Okay. Okay, let's take a short break. You're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt McNeil. We're talking to Senator Kelly Morrison. We'll be right back. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. That, that went on too long. Sorry about that. Uh, like my, the, uh, my apologies to everybody. auto-tune intro, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt McNeil on his show, and we have on the line uh, my, um, I keep saying representative because uh, she was a representative for a while, but now she's my senator, my state senator, Senator Kelly Morrison. And uh, I've never had, you know, living in this area, Kelly, for about uh, probably three quarters of my life, I've never had a representative that was a Democrat before you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm uh, glad to be the first, Todd. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, this is a little bit off subject. It's a, a caller called in, and I I have been seeing a little bit about this, but I don't know very much about it. And I don't. I, I know you know so much about so much, and you may not know much about this subject. But I thought I would ask. Uh, he's asking, ha, uh, has the uh, any bills dealing with the Sanford-Fairview merger been being talked about? Yeah, that's been – we had a really interesting hearing in the Health and Human Services Committee where Senate, uh, former Governor Dayton and former Governor Pawlenty both came and testified um, against the merger, both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, both gave really impressive uh, testimony to the committee – um, you know, explaining it was sort of a um, state pride moment, really, you know, listening to this former Republican governor, and this former Democratic governor talk about their deep love um, of our state and of the university and their concern about having a big for profit company not based in Minnesota um, have that kind of um, impact potentially on University of Minnesota and its medical school. Right. So there are there is um, a bill going through the process uh, that would that's sort of an anti-monopoly type bill uh, geared specifically toward healthcare entities. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there are it it prohibits or at least it triggers a review if the mergers were of entities above a certain. Um, dollar amount in value. Um, So that is definitely a conversation at the legislature. There's a lot of concern um, about what that might mean for Minnesota and for the university. So it's definitely a a topic of a lot of conversation. Great. That's that's good to hear. Um, That's a call from Dynamo Dave, who calls in uh, every once in a while, uh, even when I'm on. And uh, so thanks for <laughs> thanks for answering his question. I, I was going to also just ask you quickly about right now, we're talking about trying to get the bonding bill, and it sounds like the Republicans are kind of holding it hostage in the Senate, and the possibility of yeah. the DFL then maybe just passing a, a straight cash uh, infrastructure sort of bill, and and that would actually hurt the constituents of the exact senators who are— hijacking it. Is that 
kind of what's going on? Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I think that, um, you know, I think the Republicans are uh, understandably frustrated that they are, you know, they don't have the governor's office and they're in the minority in both the House and the Senate. Um, so they're trying to, you know, exercise what what power they have. And bonding bills have to have three-fifths uh, majority. So they, unless there's a super majority in one of the bodies, it, it becomes a bipartisan bill by definition. Mm-hmm. Which in many ways is a good thing, right? Because it, it demands that um, areas represented by different parties are both are represented in the bonding bill. Yeah. In the, the House Senate, passed it. they yeah. the House passed it, but in the Senate the Republicans tried to tie it to um, a tax bill, um, which is just inappropriate and tax bills have to originate in the House anyway. So there's sort of the, some convoluted politics involved. So none of them voted for the bonding bill, so it, it went down, um, which is really disappointing. Now, we can pass a cash-only bonding bill um, because we just need a simple majority to do that. Um, right. But that would hurt the Republicans because then there's no incentive to include their projects in that right. bill. And it also takes some of the one-time money in the surplus away um, when normally that would be put toward um, geo bonds, so it's not a great situation. I'm hopeful that we're going to work through it ultimately um, over the rest of the session, but that's kind of where things stand right now. So, and I have a a, a bunch of bonding bills um, for our area that are that I'm really hoping um, to get included. Um, part of it, you know, one, literally. Part of it was washing my, my car. I got I I strong-armed you into including always washing Todd's car into your part of the bonding bill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, there's a bill to that. <laughs> um, no, Todd, that can't be part of the You can't do bill. that for me? Okay. All right. I can't do it. No. Thought we were friends. That would be wrong. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... There are so many needs in our state, Todd, in the wake of uh, the pandemic and, you know, challenges that we had predating that. And because the, uh, there was obstruction and gridlock in the last session, we left a whole round of bonding projects just to get more expensive and, yeah. uh, you know, require more work. So we, the Republicans really kind of shot both of us in the feet with that obstructionism last year. Yeah. Um, last session. So we, we got to get going on it this year because we have projects across the state and particularly around critical water infrastructure issues. Um, right. Yeah. A lot of a lot of their districts need to have their waterways rebuilt. And oh so my God. I don't know the why they're voting against the it. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing. It's really disappointing. So but you, so you are cool. saying that the bonding bill could could resurge and the fight goes on and it could possibly still I think pass. So. Okay. Yeah. I think Good. it's there's still hope. It's still alive. Let me put it that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> well it seems like sense could be talked into those people because they're the their constituents are going to be the ones losing out if they do this. Yeah, so exactly. I, that's exactly. why I sometimes I just can't figure out what their plan is. It's like last year I figured, okay, their plan is they don't want a bonding bill to pass now because they think they're going to win the elections in 2022. Right. But this yeah. year, I don't know what they're doing anymore. It's, it's not helping them, so I just can't figure yeah. out their strategy. I, they're trying to figure out, I think, how to get a political win for them. And uh, so far, I agree with you. It's, it's a little confusing. 
we got to do the right thing for all of Minnesota <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and repairing some of that. You know, we've got 80 year olds and well past needing repair water infrastructure across the state that needs to be addressed. Yes, we have another caller, Bill uh, from Crystal. He's saying that 50% of Minnesota waterways are Im- impaired. Are any bills right. going through to protect waterways? And and the answer to that, the quick answer, Bill, is yes, there are um, a lot of a lot of included in this bonding bill, and that's what they're um, you know the DFL's fighting for it, and the some Republicans are are kind of holding it up, but um, but we're hoping it passes yeah. through. So that's Bill's answer. Do you feel comfortable answering Bill in that way? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Bill may be referring to um, the recent study that showed that 56% of our lakes and rivers are impaired. I don't know if he meant that or if he meant actual um, water infrastructure. Okay, yeah, um, he said waterways, so that must be what he means. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, you're, so, yeah, yeah, Kelly's working on that. Kelly, uh, Senator Kelly Morrison's got a couple bills about that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, you know, as I said, water is one of our really important challenges going forward. Um, right. And those three things, of course, workforce, addressing racial disparities, and protecting our water are all related to each other, too. Yes. Right? Because we have to have clean water. Uh, everyone needs that. We have to um, address racial disparities to attract people to Minnesota and to address workforce issues. It's all circular. You know, they nothing lives exists in silos. They all impact each other. Um, but making sure that our water is protected is is critical for us in Minnesota, but also for our downstream communities. Yes. Yeah. And so we've talked a lot about the water part. Um, and I know you got to go soon. I've kept you on longer than I told you I would as per usual. <laughs> and, uh, a quick, quick answer to, are you feeling good about measures being moved through possibly bills or, or ideas being moved through the legislature dealing with disparities? I am. I am. You know, I have that, again, that touches, uh, we have just shameful disparities in just about every area. We have educational, health, housing, wealth. Uh, I mean, it's horrible uh, in Minnesota. And so you could really touch on any area, um, whether it be healthcare, education, or housing, um, in terms of needing to address them. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of legislation moving through uh, that would help uh, in many of those areas. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm one of my big efforts this year is the prescription drug affordability board um, that would ha- try to address um, the high cost of prescription drugs. And that's of course yeah. an equity issue ultimately too, because if you can't afford the medicine that you need to um, thrive, your quality of life suffers and ultimately public health suffers. And so, and of course, people who have been historically marginalized tend to have worse health and um, lower income. And so, you know, need to be able to access medicines they need to stay healthy. Um, So I'm really hopeful. I carried this in the house last year too. Um, Ironically, um, Scott Jensen was the uh, Senate author (laughs) at that time. So he, he was a different a person back in those days. Yeah, I mean, this is a bipartisan effort, though, that really just uh, looks at um, high-cost drugs that are go on the market or uh, above a certain threshold or increase by a certain percentage point over a year and three years. And then it's triggered to have a review by 
this Prescription Drug Affordability Council, with advice uh, of an advisory council that includes all kinds of players along the supply chain. So it would have people who are expert in health economics and um, pharmaceutical drugs, as well as people with lived experience and providers, to advise the board in setting an upper payment limit when they find that the price of the drug creates an affordability challenge, either for patients or for our healthcare system. So I'm really excited about this legislation. It's been passed in seven other states. You know, this is a this is an American problem. Yeah. Um, but while there's gridlock in Congress, there's a we can act here on the state level. So I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to get this across the finish line and start to get some relief to people who are struggling to afford their prescriptions. Yes, yes. Well, uh, listen, I should let you go because I've kept you like. 10 or 15 minutes longer than I told you I would. Um, and, well, it's uh, always fun to talk to you, Todd. Thanks for having yeah, me on. Yeah, it's great to have you on t- as well. Um, we, we have, just so you know, we've had uh, a few calls come in. We have a couple more, but we just are running out of time, so I apologize to the other questions that were being called in. But um, I just want to thank you again, uh I keep saying representative, but you're a senator now. (laughs) Senator Kelly Morrison trying to take a break from everything, and we dragged her back into the politics of everything here on AM 950. Thanks again, Kelly. So nice to hear your voice and uh, your your knowledge is. And we went through very little of the stuff that you're trying to do. Um, there's just so much, and uh, we thank you so much for letting us in on what's going on down at the Capitol during session. So I hope to see well, you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. And please, the people who have unanswered questions, be sure to give them my email address, and I'd be happy to follow up. Thanks okay. so much for that, having me on. That's a good idea. I will do that. Um, and yes, thank you very much, Kelly. Uh, 